we stand in this room today, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. Exodus 2, verse 25. Now that we're all really awake, hear the word of the Lord. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Let's pray together. Our good and our holy God, we thank you this Sunday morning for a chance to worship you in this place. We thank you for songs of praise. We thank you for opportunities to greet one another in your name. We thank you, Lord, for chances to make a space and welcome those that we've never seen before. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together in this place and pray to you in the name of Christ. Knowing that our prayers is the purest form of fellowship. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for a chance to hear it together and to experience it together. And we come hungry, Lord, for a word that comes from your mouth and your heart. For we need a word from you more than we need oxygen or bread or water. So we say, Lord, speak to our hearts. We say on this Lord's day, make our hearts tender that we would receive your word like a seed planted in rich soil. We pray, God, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We pray, Lord, that you would make us strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. Lord, having seen you and heard from you today, we pray that we would also speak for you this week. That we would speak a word of faith, a word of hope, a word of love. That our lips would sound forth the gospel. We pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would work in us and that the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the sweet and the holy name of Jesus. And we say together, amen and amen. And God saw the Israelites and God God knew. Last week as we began a message series on Moses, we were reminded of the deep and the beautiful and the mysterious truth that God knows our names and has a plan for our lives. And today it's almost like that thread continues to run through the story. And we hear the Bible boldly proclaim that God is the God that sees And God is the God that knows. Now that same part, that that comes rather easily. We we, we can believe 
that, that God sees. But oftentimes, don't we wonder, <laughs> does God see us? Does God see me? In Exodus 2, God saw. You see, Jesus knew that people wondered about this. He talked about anxiety and fears and a life of faith before God. And in Luke chapter 12, he said to the people around him, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs on your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Recently, I was at a coffee shop in a strip mall waiting for my wife and my daughter to finish up their shopping. And I drank that $2 cup of coffee that was worth about 43 cents. I got the little bitty one. <laughs> and I watched pigeons playing in the signs outside of the little shops in that mall. They would dance in and out of the letters on those signs, the pigeons. And I looked at those pigeons and I thought, my God, they're beautiful. You ever seen a pigeon one at a time? I mean, just the purple and the greens. And they're all so different. I thought... My God, they're beautiful. Made by a good and a gracious God, a God with a sense of wonder and humor. I thought, man, those pigeons sure are pretty. And then I was reminded of this text, and I was reminded that when that pigeon falls, God will attend that, that passing, and God will know. And this is what I know that you're worth more than many pigeons and many sparrows. And we serve a God that sees. And we serve a God that knows. Now this part of the sentence is a little more difficult in its rendering. Some of the Bibles in your lap say God saw and God had compassion. God saw and God understand, understood. God saw and God acknowledged God saw and God knew. It can very easily be and probably should be translated like this. God looked on them and made himself known to them. That God saw them and he made himself known to them. This is the kind of knowing that this scripture is talking about. It's not just some type of epistemological reality that God got it, but that God sees and God engages and God invites to life and God acts on behalf and God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and you, and me. God saw and made himself known. God saw and God knew. And this truth is true because of what preceded it in verse 24. 25 rings out true because of what was said in 24. That God's people cried out to God and God heard and God remembered his covenant and God saw 
and God knew. These four powerful realities in two verses tell us that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Jesus is a God that hears his people, that acts on the basis of a covenant, who acts on the basis of a promise. And because of that covenant, because of that promise, he is always the one who knows us and makes himself known to us. And this is true in every single season of our lives. And friends, we have come today, not just from different addresses, but we have come here today in the midst of different seasons. For some of you today, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. The sun is shining, the sky is robin's egg blue, and rain is only a distant rumor. To you today, to you who have been swept up in the new covenant in the blood of Christ, you who are a follower of Jesus and everything is hunky-dory, let me remind you, God remembers His covenant. And God hears. And God sees. And God knows. And He makes Himself known. Some of you today might be in this room and the season you're in is, is one of great failure. You've been pushed aside. You're misunderstood. Your intentions have been maligned. You've blown it. You're about as far down as you can get. Roger Miller used to say, sometimes you get so far down, you have to reach up to hit rock bottom. Some of you may feel like that today. In that season, let me remind you, he hears. He remembers the promise. He sees. He knows, and he makes himself known. For some, it's not the pain of failure. It's just the pain of life because into every life, rain does fall. And for some of you, it's in a valley of decision about what God would have you knew next with this life that he's given you to live for his glory and for the good of others. Into that season, I will remind you, he remembers the promise. He hears your heart. He sees. He knows. And he makes himself known. And the Moses story helps us see all of this. It illustrates all of this. It, 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 it writes it in, in startling words. It paints it with, with shocking features. It, it helps us understand the God who sees and knows. So for just a few moments on this Lord's Day, I'd like for us to walk through the story afresh beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. Last week we left off with Moses being snatched from the river, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and given that great Egyptian name, Moses. Son 
the one drawn from the water. We were reminded that God sees and, and has a plan for our life, that God knows our name. And today we pick up the story in verse 11. And, and it, time has elapsed. And this great economy of words, it just begins with years later. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people, looking all around and seeing no one. He struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a commander and a judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh had heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. What did it say again? Years later? What happened in those years from the day of his adoption to this day? We don't know. A lot of conjecture, a lot of things we could come up with. The, the great Hollywood midrash is as entertaining and, and about as valuable as the price of the popcorn in your lap. We can, we can daydream, but we, we can know this. We can know that he was drawn to his roots, to his origins. Those stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they became part of him. Uh, we, we can assume that he had interaction back and forth with the Hebrews, the Israelites, and, and he absorbed in his bones an identity. That he wasn't the prince of Egypt, but he was one of God's people. And one day, after many years, he went to the people that he was voluntarily identifying with. He, he was saying, I am leaving beside this privilege that belongs to me. And he walked out and he began to be with his people. And he saw the tyranny of slavery. He heard the crack of the Egyptian whip, and he acted, clumsily maybe, but he acted in the name of justice for his people, and he killed that taskmaster. Now, the text doesn't really wrestle with the ethics of this. We just see Moses beginning to identify with the Hebrews, and we see him having a thirst and a hunger for justice, and we see him willing to act. But his act would be found out. The next day he goes and, and he tries to settle a squabble between, between his people. This one who acts with the fearsome justice is now trying to act as a leader and a mediator. He's trying to do something for God and for his people. And he's met with this. All right, big shot. Mr. Boy from the palace. You're going to try to be our leader now? And they pushed him aside. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is standing before the leaders and he's giving an account of his faith in Jesus as he's 
as he's telling the story of Israel's story and telling them how the Christ fits in as the Messiah of God and how, how he is a follower of the Messiah of God. He tells the story of all God's people. And when he gets to the Moses section of the story, this is how he tells it in Acts 7, beginning uh, at this word. As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt. Verse 18, until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with the race and oppressed the ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so that they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his mother's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and his actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated... He came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, listen to this. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Man, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you? A ruler and a judge over us. Do you want to kill me the same way you had killed the Egyptians yesterday? See, Moses was trying. He was doing what he knew to do. And he thought they'd understand. And they did not understand. And they pushed him aside. And he had to run. I'm going to guess you can identify with that in some small way. Sometime in your life you did the best you knew to do. And it just wasn't nearly enough. And when those seasons come, you begin to wonder, does God see me? They didn't understand. But God understood and God saw him and God knew him and God would make himself known to him even further. God sees you and God knows you in your failures. You say, Matt, I don't feel that today. I, I feel like things are going pretty okay. Well, let's just keep with the story then. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian, and he sat down by the well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father rule, he asked him, Why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, An Egyptian delivered us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he? He asked his daughters. Why then did you leave the man behind? Invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man. And he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses to marriage. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom. 
For he said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. So Moses takes off. And he gets to Midian. Now, I imagine Midian as kind of a cool place. I mean, if you're in a bondage in a big city and you're in a bind in a big city and you need a place to daydream about running, you daydream about a place like Midian. I know people who sit in their law offices all day long and dream of Montana. <laughs> they do. They're just like, I'd like to go be there where the stars are, are big and bright. Midian is kind of like the Montana in the Moses story. And he goes out there to this big wide open place and he finds an opportunity in the first moments as these women are being abused by some men. And his instincts for justice and right rise up and he, he comes and he saves these ladies. And they report to the father, to Jethro, an Egyptian delivered us. Well, go get him and bring him home for dinner and hear his overtures for right and justice are not met with condescension or rejection or you poor rich boy from the palace or are you going to try to kill us too or who do you think you are? But they were met with come to dinner. Let's have life together. And there he went. He was met with gratitude and he was introduced to a family and he met a man who was the chief priest for the Midianites, a landed man, a man with animals to work. And, and he found in that Midian experience a mentor and a family and meaningful work out there with the animals under the stars as sweat's pouring out of his body he is being shepherded by the great God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and out there in that land of blessing and gratitude and success he is living his life and friend I, I'll submit to you it, it might have been his best life now I mean he was he was rocking it he was in with the big family he had the great wife he had the kid he had the good job he was there and it was good he was there and it was good but get this failure is never total and success is never ultimate. And in seasons where things have fallen in pleasant places, where the phone rings and the, and the voice on the other end is filled with laughter, where there is all hope and joy and new life, we still serve a God that sees and knows and acts according to His promise and makes himself known. And in a relationship with a God like that, 
When Moses' child was born, he named him Gershom. A sojourner in a foreign land. Because Moses knew in his heart of hearts he was not an Egyptian deliverer. He knew in his heart of hearts he wasn't the coolest cat in Midian. He knew in his heart of hearts because he served a God that sees and hears and knows and makes himself known. That he was God's. And he was a sojourner in this land. And there was something more than the lines falling in pleasant places. We serve a God that hears, remembers, sees, and knows. Perhaps this is most acutely felt in our moments of tremendous pain. This is the heart of this story, and it's recorded in 23 to 25. Moses is out there in Midian, and we hear about life in Egypt, and it begins like it all began after a long time. The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out. And their cry for help because of a difficult labor ascended to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God saw the Israelites and God knew. You see, things were going well for Moses and Midian. But for the Hebrews in Egypt... It's a different story. And in their pain, they cried out to God. And this is what we should do too. As men and women of faith, when we are pushed hard against the rock, we should cry out to the God that is our help. In 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter had been writing to a group of people that were experiencing persecution, not from the Egyptian whip, but from the Roman boot. And he said to those early Christians, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And they cast their hearts toward God, and God heard them and saw them and acted on his promise. And knew and made himself known. Meanwhile, Moses. Sometimes God will answer your prayers by raising up someone else. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't this bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. He answered. You see, we, get, we serve a God that calls 
We serve a God that works in our lives. We see a God that has a purpose and a plan and a function for us, that God has tasks and assignments and duties, all born out of a relationship of covenant. And when things were falling pleasantly for Moses and Midian, God was working in Egypt. And one afternoon on the far side of the wilderness, he interrupted Moses' life. Because success is not ultimate. And God will interrupt a pleasant day in the wilderness to move us from good to great. Moses, Moses. Repetition of endearment. Douglas Stewart said, Moses would have understood immediately that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and was concerned about him. My, my. Moses, Moses. He stood in front of the holy God and heard a tender word. And he said, here, here I am. Here I am. God has turned to us in love. And in love, he has made himself known in the face of Christ. The offer of the new covenant in his blood. The holy fire of God burns in the wilderness of the world and calls out our name in the most tender way. And that is the heart of vocation. Not here is your assignment, but here is an offer of relationship. I'm inviting you into the work that we will do together in this world. Moses, Moses. And his response of faith was, here I am. Brevard Child said that Moses had a double perspective of faith. One was eschatological and ultimate. God's good future will be taken care of. And, and the other is faith seen as a commitment and trust. It's faith as, as confused action toward obedience in the complexity of several alternatives. There, there is a faith that looks to God's good future and says, I, I, I will put aside the riches of Egypt that I can dwell with the Lord. And there's one that says in the midst of this murkiness with all of these options, I will seek out a way to obey God and live faithfully in this world as it is, as he is present and working for his glory and for the good of others. When Moses said, here I am, he wasn't giving God GPS coordinates. He was saying, I'm here. And I trust you. You are my God and I am your Moses. He called him by that Egyptian name. He never changed it. He wore his whole story right there in front of God. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The success, the failures, Midian, Egypt... His mama, the Pharaoh's daughter, all of it right there. Whole, whole story in the presence of God. And God just goes, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses went, here I am. And right here in this very moment, the common bushes are on flame all over the world. And God calls us to come into his presence. And he knows our name. And he has a plan for our life. And he wants us to respond with, here I am. Have you ever said that to God? In Christ, he has come for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him, trust in him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life and would be a servant of life and, and reconciliation in all this world. He has come for you and he's called your name. Have you ever said, here I am? I mean in the ultimate way, like here's my whole life from this moment through eternity. Well, maybe you've done that, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I invite you to come and do it today in a conversation with somebody in this place. Many of us have made that type of ultimate commitment. And friends, I want to submit to you for a moment, that may not be the hardest one this week. The hard act of faith this week might be those simple acts of obedience in this messy world full of all kind of choices and alternatives. But he's calling you to him and to be a blessing to others. Will you say afresh, here I am? Will you say it as we stand to sing together? Lord, as we stand, we pray that you would work in our hearts, work in a way that would bring honor to you, that would bring blessing to us, that would extend our work in this world for your glory. Give us courage to follow and power to live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.